0: Just update. Casey's doing pretty good. Got a new treatment, so we're hoping that's gonna gonna change the game up for us. Got a couple more days in the hospital, but hopefully Tuesday, Wednesday will be out, and uh, we'll move on with life. With that said, I want everybody here to know that I hate the dentist. The dentist, it is a vile. It is a vile practice. It's awful. I hate it. My junior of high school. I guess this is more like oral surgery. But my junior high school, we went uh, up a couple hours to get my my wisdom teeth taken out. And if you've had your wisdom teeth taken out, you know, it is an awful process. Had a couple cut out, a couple pulled out. And then, you know, you go through the days of, of bleeding and gauze in places it shouldn't be and pain medication. But just so happened to be right at like two days before Halloween. So where we lived in Illinois, we had really cool traditions for Halloween. The youth group would go teepee everybody's house in the church. Um, you can't do that here in Missouri for some reason, which is weird and it makes me sad because I have fond memories. Um, we got shot at with shotguns. They got like, like rocks all in them. Some of our more curmudgeon-y uh, people. Um, it was good times. We also had this porta potty. That was like an old porta potty that. People would transport in your yard. And if you ended up with it like November 1st, you had to store this porta potty for a whole year. So you'd wake up in the morning, there'd be a porta potty in your front yard. I don't know. It was weird. It was like farm country. So we got <coughs> all cor- all sorts of weird things. So, um, you know, we had done our stint. The youth group had done its stint of TPing all the good Christian people of the neighborhood. And uh, I remember coming home i was I was kind of doped up on medicine as as you are after that, and um for some reason uh athletic sh- athletic shorts, no shirt I don't, which I don't usually do. I was just walking around the house. I was a junior in high school, who cares and my parents were in their bedroom, and you could see out into our front yard and I remember looking out the window and there was there was a short, old haggard lady standing right outside of our window and it freaked me out like straight up horror movie nonsense and I was like what in the world for, s- for whatever reason I was like I'm going to handle this and I, I bolt out screaming again drugs bolt out screaming blow through the front door and and there I mean there's somebody there and and we were surrounded by like cornfields all over like front back sides and they were harvested and I take off running, and I'm screaming and I'm yelling and I'm terrified a little bit for some reason. It was just like a weird moment. And I w- like I couldn't catch this person and they were short. I mean I could see they were short and they had like a bag on their back and I was like, Okay, they're gonna T P S but it was also freaky because it was definitely like an old haggard woman, like you know, like the horror movie like mask thing. And I was like, What is going on? And I lost them in the darkness. I lost him in the darkness. So next day, that was Saturday night, next day was Sunday morning and I walk into church and I was still kind of like uh, groggy and stuff and and people are like looking at me, I'm the minister's kid so like there's expectations, people are looking at me and they're like you know some, like some of the older guys would come up and be like so fun chasing ghosts and they're like what? And a couple of them were not happy, like the kids were kind of freaked out and a couple of them were not happy and I'm... I am not sure what I said, but I do not think it was like church Sunday school appropriate. Okay, um, there were people that like understood, and in the, in the con- and I still don't know to this day. I'm pretty sure as a kid in our youth group that was that was being honorary, um, but I'm not sure. But apparently, I said some stuff that was not bueno. So, you know, there there's these expectations, and, and I tell you that very random story because. Um, and not that it's adversity. But I think in in the in the face of true adversity who we uh, are is on display for everybody to see. I did not know that night that the whole church would find out that I might not say nice things when I'm freaked out. But that's that's what we're dealing with. In the face of true adversity, who we are is on display for everybody to see and Jesus Jesus understands that wholly. So today we're going to be in uh the book of matthew as we have been we're gonna be in chapter 10 and i will have it up on the screen i do uh, encourage you to open your bibles and flip through it through it read it with us we're going to uh we're going to go through the whole chapter so keep up if i don't mess this up and get tongue-tied chapter 10 starting verse 1 jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip, and Bartholomew. Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot. And Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. These are instructions. Remember that. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim the message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, Let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it is more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. And listen to this this is what we get into. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you'll say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of the father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and the father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants to their masters. In the head of the house, uh, if the head of the house is called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. But I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roost. Do not be afraid, those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, he says, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others will also acknowledge, uh, I I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I uh, I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. That... Is some pretty intense scripture right there, and I'm not going to lie to you. We're not going to hit most of this today, but I want you to frame it in your mind. I want you to keep those words of Christ in the back of your mind as we talk about this one, this one idea that kind of sets it all. The one idea that uh, Doug wanted me to focus on today. I don't know about you, but when I feel kind of beaten down, I go to the scriptures. And I probably don't do that enough, but this is one of the scriptures when I'm feeling like the mission is struggling or I'm having trouble focusing or something. I I read this because this is the this is the the sense, the set that Christ is like. He's sending out his twelve. He's got his twelve, he's sending them out. And he's like, here it is. Here it is. If you've ever asked how do we do discipleship, this is this is a pretty good start. Jesus is giving us a how. He says at the beginning, follow my instructions. Uh, When Jesus tells us to do something, I don't know about you, but we probably better do it, right? Uh, Amen, something. Slap your neighbor. (coughs) If you've ever wondered how do you disciple, how do you do discipleship things, here's a start. This passage is character-focusing. Okay, I want you to get that. This passage is character-focusing. It's predictive, it's humbling, and it gives the reality of the life of a disciple straight, no chasers. But there's a disconnect with us. I talk about it with my friends, I talk about it with my colleagues, I talk about it with Doug and the elders. There's this, there's this disconnect in the church today. There's this this struggle that we almost can't put our fingers on. And these words that Jesus says are difficult, they're exclusive, and they're terrifying, right? Like if we take it seriously, the words we just read are terrifying. And they're hard for us. There's a disconnect because I think a lot of this is like stuff that we haven't experienced in America, or at least in Missouri, or at least in St. James, or at least in St. James Christian Church. Like this stuff is confusing for all the, the weird reasons. I mean, Jesus said some crazy stuff. He didn't, he didn't come to bring peace, but a sword? And we're like, Jesus' swords cut people. Why, why with all the anger? Why with all the, the, the murder? I mean, I don't, what else do you do with a sword? You know, there's this, there's this weirdness to it. And there's so much we can't unpack today. I want you to keep studying throughout this week. Uh, and 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 look up some of the stuff in here that you're like, well, I don't really know because we don't we don't have time to go through it all. But he says a great many things in this passage that are life altering, they're lifestyle threatening, and they cut against the grain of so much that we're comfortable with. But we're going to focus on we're going to focus on that little thing towards the top, that little sentence, that little phrase. It says, I am sending you out a sheep among wolves. Okay, it's great imagery. I'm sending you out a sheep among wolves. And he goes on to tell us how. That next section, he says, be as shrewd as snakes and be as innocent as doves. And that's kind of another confusing analogy. So I'm going to do my best to unpack this analogy, this sheep among wolves for us today, um, because it is very important. And uh, keep The rest of chapter 10, as best you can, in the back of your mind, we're gonna kind of look through the lens of the sheep among wolves. So the first thing is let's correct, let's correct the viewpoint. Jesus says here, he's he's basically saying, This is how you live, this is how you disciple, okay, this is how you witness, like sheep among wolves. There's no other way to do it. Right, this is how you exist. Jesus is saying, This is my instruction, this is how you exist as sheep. Among wolves, but let's correct some viewpoints. Okay, I am not—I am not a farmer. As you all know, I do not particularly enjoy farm things. Um, to be hundred percent honest, I struggle with this because I don't like sheep. Sheep be gross. Sheep look weird. I was looking at images of sheep for the slideshow. I had like four or five that were kind of funny memes and stuff, and I was just like, I don't—I don't like looking at them. It's weird. They're a weird animal, okay? In the world, okay, in the world, sheep, and you can correct me. How many people know farm animals better than me? Put your hands up. Does anybody understand sheep? Because I don't. I know you can eat them, and I know you can wear them. That's all I got, okay? Sheep are stupid, right? Like they're very stupid. So in the world, sheep are stupid. In the Bible, sheep are innocent, and sheep are pure, Now, wolves, wolves are dope, all right? If they're, like, if if they wouldn't kill our kids and having wolves just roam around town, that'd be awesome, all right? That's, like, some cool stuff. Wolves are awesome, okay? In the world, wolves are are beautiful. I think if you were like, what do you like better, sheep or wolf, no kid's going to be, like, I like sheep. Get out of my face. They're going to be, like, wolves all day. But in the Bible, in the Bible, it's flipped. Wolves are, they're evil, they're sly. They're sneaky. Okay, they've, they've, they've implanted themselves in the kingdom, in, in the things that we do and the things we see. They're out in the world. They're in our churches. They're in our families. Wolves. Wolves are no good in the Bible. But why sheep? Why not predominantly anything else? Like sometimes you read the Bible and you're just like, Jesus, I get it, but like, come on. It's a terrible analogy. Right? Why sheep? Well, he uses this metaphor for many reasons, and we're going to get into some of them and, and the depictions of the Lamb of God. And, but, but here's one. Here's one that jumped out at me. He uses them to correct our instincts. We do not naturally bear Christ's instincts. We just don't. Like, if you, if you let a child raise themselves, they ain't going to turn up and look like Jesus. Like, we know enough kids. Everybody's three-year-old, mine included, when he, well, I mean, he's six now, and he's still. You're like, you know, you go home and have that conversation with your wife, and you're like, oh, I love them. Jesus loves them, but I am so glad I don't have the three-year-old, right? That's just kind of a conversation you have as a parent, okay? I know you guys have had that conversation about night. I have had that conversation about night, Okay? there's a struggle there but we don't have we don't have those instincts you raise your kids up to fear god, fear you, authority, be kind, be gracious you know there there it's not it's not a natural thing for us to have the instincts of, of Jesus so what kind of instincts do we have? Well, I- if you grow up in the world, you have the instincts of, of the wolf, all right? You have the instincts of, of the world. Uh, you just do. It's like when we teach kids, if they're, like, you know, we're, we're, ta- we're, we're talking about doing some homeschool stuff this, this fall, all right, because when I talk with parents, uh, it's really hard to teach kids in, in, in the context of the American school system right now because it is so filled with garbage and dissension and, and, and ludicrous. So we have we have this understanding that we don't have the instinct. So he, he uses sheep to, to correct our instincts. Jesus sends us out as metaphorical sheep, those who are lowly and innocent. So get this, so that we don't taint the message of the gospel. So we don't taint the message of the gospel. This is Jesus' way of telling us that we need to be on mission, but not our mission, his mission. If I had it Caleb's way, I would do his things very wrong. I already do his things very wrong, and I'm, I'm working at it. But here's the thing is he, he has to change who we are. He's got to change the nature of our personhood. And he has to change us so that his truth, get this, his truth is not tainted by our wants. And I know this stuff is not like rocket science. But it is hard for us to hear in a culture where everything is about me. Everything is about me. So his truth is not tainted by our wants. We as humans struggle to do things Christ's way because we arrogantly think so often we can do things our way and they'll be better. And that just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So that was the first one. The second one, kind of break today up into like four sections. The second one, what does it look like to be sheep among wolves in the world? What's it look like to be sheep among wolves in the world? Well, here's the truth of the matter: we are sent out. Okay, if we just think of ourselves like singularly, we're sent out one sheep into a sea of wolves. Okay, that's like predominantly what he's doing with his disciples. There were twelve to go to the masses. That's kind of terrifying. All right, and he was like, "You're, I'm gonna send you out." And then the rest of Matthew 10, Jesus says some insane stuff. He's like. Families will be divided. He's like, everybody, predominantly that is of power, will despise you, and they will hurt you, and they will try. He's like, you will go into people's houses that, that claim to be of me. And he's like, and you'll, you'll, you'll know soon enough whether it's true or not. He's like, and if it's not true, he's like, you depart from that place. You shake the dust from your feet. Can you imagine if we had people come over, and, like, people were leaving my house, and, like, they're on the porch, like, dusting themselves off? you know like whatever happened there was terrible all right that's awkward like that's socially not how we operate but there's a truth to that so we're sent out one into a sea of wolves and Jesus shows us how to accomplish that and that is Matthew 10 and I haven't read it like that before to be honest so we're going gonna, we're gonna like break to break down a couple of the scriptures in the beginning. What does Jesus say, verses, verses 9 and 10? So after he, he kind of lists the disciples and he gives this, this proclamation that they are going to be healing people, they're going to be driving out demons, they're going to be you know, doing these great works. That's kind of crazy, you know, like that's hard for us to connect with because we don't really see a lot of that happening. Like, you know, Esther didn't heal anybody this week. You know, we're like, oh yeah, okay, that's, yeah, that's normal. okay but these this, this is like a new thing. Jesus is sending them out and he said and he, his expectation is that they're humble about it. He says,' don't, don't get paid. He don't pack extra things. He don't have the expectation that this is because of you or for your own glory. This is because of me and my mission and my father's mission so he sends us he sends them out with the expectation of being humble and that's that's a hard thing in america to understand go down a little bit further says go into the towns and preach and teach and here's what to expect if you do so jesus is not saying like this might happen okay i think a lot of times we read the scriptures and it's like okay okay if i do these things for christ maybe maybe some of this stuff will happen Jesus is, like, telling them, he's like, be prepared. I know what I'm talking about. You go and preach and teach about me, and they will despise you everywhere. Like, I can't imagine walking into St. James, like, you know, seven years ago in my interview process with the leadership, and I'm, like, walking in being like, I'm ready. I'm ready for the town to just hate my guts, you know. They don't, they, we don't think like that. Because that's kind of crazy in our culture. You come in, if you want to be a minister, you make friends, you get to know the police, the firemen, you know, the city council people, all the big swingers, big wigs, whatever you call them. Yeah, sorry, I was like a weird, didn't age well. <coughs> Hopefully they're not doing that. <coughs> but that's what, you know, there's that mentality. And it's like you read the scriptures and it's like, but. Don't understand this. They're like, Jesus, why? Why, why did they, you know, why do they hate us? He's like, Well, they they hate me. <laughs> why would they not hate you? See, the more we go into Matthew 10, the more we get this 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 lineup of, of like Christ asking us to look more like him. And I think for us, especially in the church today, looking like Jesus is is a social, it's a social death sentence. It's it's a workplace death sentence. I mean in, your, in your household, it can be a death sentence. And, th- and this is this thing. He's battling this nature that we deal with. See, the, con- the, the gospel has consequences because the world hates its message. And, like, we just need to, to, to understand that and, and move past it. And it's a hard thing. But we just need to understand that and move past it. When we lived in Africa, we lived in Africa for a year and a half. I've told you this, guys, nine million times. But the only thing I see, we failed. Like our twenty-five churches in twenty five years was my parents' like mission plan. Pretty ambitious now that I'm working in a church. Um, I didn't see any of that. I didn't see any progress. I didn't see any stuff. All I saw roadblocks, barriers, and angry, angry, angry people. They did not they did not want us there at all. That was my first taste of I'm like, ah, oh okay, I'm you kinda know, I come out of the Midwest. I'm like, everybody loves everybody goes to church. You don't go to church, you're a drug addict, that, like back in the day. like That was what it was. Okay, Everybody went to church, good people, bad people, Everybody's was at church. You come to Africa, you're like, no, 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 you get out. So There's an understanding that the gospel has consequences. So number three, number three, this is a sensitive one. I'm going to tell a couple stories to hopefully help us understand it but where are the wolves among us? So number three is where are the wolves among us? Me and Doug talk about the church a lot and we struggle with understanding what is going on. Like the pandemic made things crazy. Um, I I don't really think it changed a lot of stuff. I think it unveiled a lot of stuff. I think it showed us some, some truth about our Christian culture and the world and the state of our country. But you come into something like verse 36, and it says, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. That is hard for us. And some of you in here, you might be like, yeah, I get that. A ton. I don't get that. I saw it a little bit when I was growing up. I didn't know my grandparents really. They lived in South Africa and Zimbabwe. And my dad defected. Like, and you guys know this, my dad defected. He was like, he got kicked out of the Catholic Church because he asked too many questions and wanted to read his Bible. Oh, God forbid. And he got kicked out of his house, lost his inheritance, and it was an inheritance. Alright? I would probably not be here today if my dad would have kept that money. Alright? We're talking like Kardashian money. <coughs> my my dad lost all that stuff. He came to the States. And I remember growing up, I'd walk past his bedroom on the way to mine, and him and his dad would be talking. And he'd have tears in his eyes pretty much always. Like, I don't remember them having a really good conversation. And it was my dad. He was trying his best, his best, to to show his father who he loved the truth of the Bible. And his dad had had wanted none of it. And that's the thing. I know my my granny sometimes watches these. Granny, I love you. They are lost. They are lost people had conflicts with his brother they've had conflict i mean pretty much all of his family they have had conflicts. they think he's a crazy person you see that's that's the only connection i have some of you have a way different connection you're like yeah i love jesus and my parents are like no we get that in the youth group sometimes see that's hard but i'm gonna do i'm gonna do you one better when i was 10 my, my dad had been at a, uh, at a mission, or uh, a mission, uh, a ministry, uh, a preaching ministry in Owensville, Indiana. I know, I think, like, Gavin and Peggy you know where that's at. Okay, Owensville, Indiana, little church, been there for 10 years. And it was tumultuous. We got to a point, um, I think I was 11 or 12, we got to a point that my, uh, my dad just wasn't gelling with the leadership. I'm not quite sure what was going on, but I remember they wanted him to resign. Just like, we don't want you anymore, but you need to be the one to quit so we don't look like bad people. My dad's like, I'm not a liar. You do your dirty work yourself. So they got up, they wrote a letter, or actually my dad wrote a letter that they read and it basically was like, I'm not doing this of my own free will. They do not want to be employed here anymore. And it was ugly. If you've ever been in church, you know how that works. But let me tell you, ugly. 11, 12 year old me saw the church erupt. People were standing up and they were screaming at each other. I've heard more swear words as a young kid in a church congregation than I think I would ever care to be okay with. They were yelling at my dad, half the room, half the room were yelling at the elders and the leadership. The next thing I know, I'm sitting in the pew like, oh, somebody's gonna get shot. Like this is nuts as a twelve year old, you know? I'm like, why is everybody so angry at each other? I get whisked up. And I'm like, you know, he pick a kid up when it's like there's like a fire. And this one of our friends that we trusted, would, you know, my mom had instructed her, she's like, if This goes south today, I don't want my kid witnessing this evil nonsense. And I just remember being carried out. I was like floating. And there's just people, you know, stuff's getting thrown. I mean, it was ugly. It was ugly. That church split, and it took decades for it to to, to recover. There were wolves in that church. Ugly, nasty, not bent on the kingdom. I don't even know if they love Jesus kind of wolves in that church. And that's what's hard when we come into this is because we see a difference that Christ is trying to explain to us in the scriptures. And he's saying, follow my instructions. And I can tell you the men and women in that church that were causing those issues were not following. following. They wanted their way. And they were going to do anything they could to get it. And all that brought was dissension and brokenness. I hope we don't have any wolves in our church. But if we do, the only thing I can tell you today is change. Because this is not a place for you. That is all I have for that. I witnessed that as a kid, and it will stick with me forever. I do not want that for this church at all. Number four. Sheep are the kingdom, and this this kind of leads us into the to the end. The end of it. Sheep are the kingdom, wolves are the world. Sheep employ kingdom tactics to win over people and to accomplish the mission. Wolves employ the tactics of Satan: fear, dissension, doubt—all those things, all those ugly parts of us. That's, and that's the wolf side. And sheep are the perfect, they're the perfect example. I'm not gonna lie; I struggled for a long time with this. I struggled finding the perfect words to get the point across. To explain to you guys and girls what I was thinking, the points I wanted to make, how to say it, you know just perfectly so that like it wasn't confusing. You know, between the two of us, me and Doug, Doug is the smart one. Okay, <laughs> Doug is very intellectual. I can't compete with that. Um, he, you know, a couple weeks ago was like, I need you to fill in for a couple things, and and here's the sermon so we stay on track for Easter. And I'm immediately like, oh, awesome. Because there's a lot of this that I, I struggle with. There's a lot I struggle to understand. And I've learned a lot from him as we sit, you know, each week and we study scriptures and we talk about stuff. And and, and I've been challenged in awesome ways. But there, there's like a hard aspect of this where I'm like, man, I, Jesus, I don't really know some of what you're trying to tell us. You're try, trying to Trying to tell me. But I was praying about it, and, and this week's been kind of crazy, as you know, as as I was praying about it, I believe Christ is telling He's telling me this. He's telling us this. So here is the truth of the sheep. I believe Christ is, is simply telling us it's about who you are. Not not who not who you are broken you, broken me who you are in Christ It's like if you're going to claim to be a disciple and this is the thing we've been talking about discipleship Doug's been talking about it in Sunday school for a long time we have some stuff coming down the pipeline we want you guys ready for we struggle understanding Jesus because we look at ourselves and we're supposed to be a mirror of him and we, we just see brokenness that's what I see in myself see Christ here is he's telling us he's like you are one way and I need you to be another and he knows he knows our truth. You know, he's asking us, do you have the capability to love others? Do you even want to love others? I mean, the scriptures tell us to love our enemies. That's a tall order. I think it's a struggle for some of us to love the people in this room. We're called to be sheep because the kingdom succeeds when we tell the story of Jesus, but we've got to do it his way. When we do things for the kingdom without the expectation of reward or glory. When we live sacrificially against the norms of society. These are not easy things. When we show vulnerability for the message and with our people in this church. The world says to succeed, you've got to bite and claw your way through everything. And Jesus again says, no, no. And then tells us something like, turn the other cheek when you're wrong. It's hard for us to to wrap our minds around, right? I think the real message here is the contrast that we have a lot of people trying to do the work of Christ with the tactics of the wolves. It's just not working. It doesn't work because we look too much like the world and Jesus says I need you to really start looking more like me like in every facet kids, adults, grandmas and grandpas parents this is a call for all of us Jesus says I need you to be different because that's the only way my message will make sense to anybody who's looking for it it's the only way it's going to make sense as I was writing this, Lord of the Rings kept coming to my mind, okay? If you've seen that movie, it's fantastic. It's pretty old now, but it's still, it's a classic. It's good. Lord of the Rings kept coming to my mind, and it was it was cool, gr- you know, growing up as a kid. I You know, it probably hit differently watching it as an adult, but I, I got to watch it as a kid, so I was like, oh, this is the best thing in the world. I always remember these aspects in the movie where they would kind of talk about this, like, fantastic unremarkability of the hobbits right like they're not remarkable they're short they got hairy fat feet okay they don't have any particular skills they like to party too much they really like their ale you know and they like nine meals you don't get nine meals on the mission field all right but as you watch these movies you see you see these characters you know see frodo and sam and and, and, and he they continually try, you know, Frodo continues to try to, like, give the ring away to his fellowship. He's like, I, you know, he hands it off, and, you know, Legolas and, and, and Gimli and, and, you know, other characters, you know, powerful, you know, good, powerful people that he meets going through the series. Each one of them tell these grim stories. Even Gandalf, each they tell this grim story uh, of what the ring would do to them, this, this corruption that would happen. And then they say this, and I think this is so cool. They say that I- if, I- if it fell to them, the mission would not come to pass. If it fell to them, the mission would not come to pass. Yeah. And and J.R.R. Tolkien was, was a Christian, as I understand. And I think this is deliberate because I- I the hobbits were chosen to carry the ring. You kind of understand this in the first movie. They were chosen to carry this burden, this very important burden, burden because of their innocence. Because of their innocence. Their incorruptible nature. And even though they they sway and, and, and you know it, it's a very crazy journey. It was left up to them. And yeah they had help along the way, but at the end of the third movie, man, it's a powerful scene when they finally they finally get there. And, and I think that we we love movies like that. But that's the struggle is that, uh, you know, our life is not a movie, but it's so much more important. Our mission is so much more daring. It's so much more exciting. It's so much more beneficial. It is the thing that we do. At the end of the movie, their innocence and their uncorruptible nature, their incorruptible nature is what, what sees through the day. See, we're being sent out like sheep among wolves into the world to fight the enemy, and it seems impossible. Jesus said, it isn't, but you've got to look like me. See, this is how 12 men and a few women changed the course of the world. I've got to talk. We're, we're watching The Chosen with the, with the kids on Wednesdays. I like this very good rendition of, of Christ and his disciples. I want the kids to be able to like, experience this other than just reading it. And we see, we see this play out, and i got to talk with the students. I'm like, do you realize that I exist, like, in body form? <laughs> I exist. This exists. What we do here exists because of these few people. Like, that is crazy to wrap your mind around. And you're like, how do we get there? How does St. James Christian Church be like the 12? How do we do the same things? How do we get the same results? Well, it's not because of us. Just because the more we look like Christ man we're going to be unstoppable and in a town riddled with the nonsense that it is riddled with that is what we need we don't need more of us we need more of Christ in our life if you've if you come to the end we are almost done I promise if you come to the end and you're still wondering what is Jesus asking of us well, I think he's telling us this. He's telling there are sheeps. Sheeps? There are sheep and there are wolves in the world. You are either a sheep or you are a wolf. And he's like, don't be the latter. You're going to have to be perceptive. We're told to be on guard because the world's, they're, they're, they're coming. All right? We're told to be perceptive. Students, how are we doing with perception in your life? You know, do you spend more time in the scriptures? Do you spend more time on church than you do on TikTok and Snapchat and Facebook and YouTube? Parents. Man, we are told to be on guard. How are we doing? Do we know what's going on in our kids' lives? Do we have input? We're told to be humble. We're told to be bold. We're told to be innocent. We're told to prepare to make sacrifices. We're told to be vulnerable in our life. We're told to be humble while we do it. Because when the world sees us doing those things in the face of great adversity, man, that's powerful. Like, when the world hits you in the face, they expect you to explicative your way out of it. All right? They're like, oh, yeah, that, that was terrible. That makes sense. Man, when great adversity happens and and we look like Christ, that is, oh my goodness, that's cool. And that's what we need. That's what our kids need. That's what our churches need. That's what our families need. Now, there's probably a lot that I miss that Doug maybe wouldn't have. But as I read over this passage and, and I felt like God was compelling me to understand the simple truth, if you're not succeeding in the kingdom, if we're not succeeding in the kingdom, it's because We're not following. Wolves fight, sheep follow. Wolves fight, sheep follow. I'm not saying that we don't be brave. I'm not saying that we don't stand up for things. I'm not saying that we don't do any of that. But I am saying that there's a way that we have to approach this the world needs us to look like the king because guess what the king was? He was the lamb of God. And we slayed him on that cross. And when we did that, it changed the course of everything. And I think the only thing Jesus is asking of us is that we go out into the world as sheep among wolves and we do our best to look like him because that is what is going to change everything. That's going to change your family. It's going to fix your problems. It's going to change this town it's going to grow this church and this mission, this kingdom. Oh my goodness, it's going to look like nothing that we've ever seen before.